Permit me to uh, share a, a personal story from my own life for, for a minute here. I call it uh, my heart story. About a year ago, uh, I found or was experiencing a lot of tension and, and stuff on my shoulders and my neck whenever I was uh, really exerting myself, like cutting the lawn or walking up a flight of stairs real fast or just maybe doing something too fast. And at first I thought it was just maybe some muscle strain, but as the months went on and it kept happening, I realized that there was something else was wrong. So I went to the doctor and they put me through some tests, but uh, nothing conclusive. But over the course of this past year, it, it, the situation got worse. The, the more I would exert myself in doing things, the more I had to limit myself because of the, the tension that was going on. Now, I was never short of breath, never had chest pains or anything like that. So finally in May, my doctor said, you should go see a cardiologist. So I did, and after the cardiologist had just heard uh, my story, he said, oh, it's simple. You've got a blocked artery. You need, to got to, you need to go and get it cleaned, get it opened up. So about a month later, because I needed to do some trips like going to Disneyland and things like that, um, I went and I had an angiogram. And uh, this is a picture of uh, the x-ray of uh, my heart. They inject a dye into your veins. And uh, if you look at that area there, you see that all that black stuff, which is supposed to be that dye going through the heart and down the arteries, it, it stops. And so they determined that there was 100% blockage in my right coronary artery. And uh, then they uh, did an angioplast, and 20 minutes later, the artery is open and the blood is all flowing again. <laughs> now, the doctor said, fortunately, God has created our bodies so that that blood found another way to get around, so that's why I didn't have a heart attack. But obviously, I had some blockage there, and I didn't know it. But I was having symptoms that were telling me Something isn't right. It needs to be changed. My question for you is, is there anything blocking your heart? Blocking your heart from following God. Blocking your heart from being totally committed to him. Today, as we continue our series of messages entitled Lessons from the Lord, we're going to have one in basic discipleship. Discipleship 101. It's about following God. And we're going to ask ourselves the question first, are we ready to follow, to be fully committed to Jesus? And then we're going to hear the answer as to what makes us fully committed. The lessons from the words of our Lord are recorded for us in Luke chapter 9. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still to another, he said, uh, another one, man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back 
is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Have you ever experienced something where, you know, you've gotten really excited uh, about whatever was going on and you wanted to be part of it? You might say that you've become a fan or maybe even a follower. Uh, we see that a lot with sports teams, right? When, when the teams are doing really well, boy, everybody's a fan. Everybody's a fan of the Warriors when they make it to the playoffs, right? Uh, but when the teams aren't doing so well, well, then we don't talk about them too much or maybe aren't quite as uh, dedicated in following them, like maybe with the 49ers or so, you know. Uh, so we seem to be kind of fickle, right? We can be a fan at one moment when things are going well, uh, but don't really follow through when, when things get kind of tough. And so they kind of ask the question then, are you a fan or a follower, and what's the difference? And that's exactly what was going on with these people and with Jesus. Uh, right now during Jesus' ministry, it was a very exciting time. Crowds are coming to him to hear him. In fact, at one point, the crowd was so big, you know, 5,000 men and then the women and children, there wasn't enough food to feed people. So Jesus performs that great miracle of feeding everybody, which is five loaves of bread and two fish. And the crowd was amazed, and more people wanted to be part of that and excited. And then Jesus heals a boy who had been possessed by a demon that his disciples weren't able to take care of. Things were really getting excited. And so more and more people are coming up. But the question is, did they just want to be a fan, or were they ready to be followers? Well, in our account today, the first guy comes up and he says, Lord, I, I'm ready to follow you to go wherever you want. And Jesus says to him, well, you know, the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Foxes have a den, birds have their nest, but I don't have that. You see, what, his, what he was noticing was that people may say they're ready, but really they have a lot of excuses and they don't follow through. Let's take a look at what those excuses are. Now, on the outside, it sounds like this guy is ready to follow, right? That's what he says. But Jesus, who sees not just the outside, but the inside, Jesus, who also knows what's going on in our heart, knows that for this guy, it's going to be too hard. Jesus refers to himself and how he came into this world in a very humble way. Here's the Son of God, and now he refers himself as the Son of Man. Though he was the creator of the world, and all the animals he created, they had a place they could call home. Jesus said he didn't have a place to call home. He was reminding us of the humble circumstances of his life, reminding us of his spirit of selflessness, sacrifice, and service to God, even suffering. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's ready to head to Jerusalem. And people are probably thinking, yeah, you go get him, Jesus. With the power that you have and with this following, you're going to take over Israel. You'll have it back under the control of the Jewish people. But that's not why Jesus was going to Jerusalem. In fact, in this very chapter, so that means at this time, Jesus is telling them twice that he's going to Jerusalem to be arrested, to suffer, die, 
and rise. Now, at one point later, his disciples will try to deter him from that. But Luke, in this chapter, tells us nothing could deter Jesus. It said Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And in the original language, that word resolutely really is translated with his face set like flint, which means he was hard as rock. He was absolutely determined to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die for our salvation. In this same chapter, which means at this same time, this very time, Jesus was also teaching his followers what it means to be a disciple. He wrote, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus was making it very plain and simple. To be a follower of him means it's, it calls for selflessness, sacrifice, service, and maybe even suffering. Jesus didn't see that in this guy. He knew that when he would be challenged, it would be too hard and he would quit. Oh, sure, this guy spoke the right words. He said, wherever you go, Jesus, I'm going to go. And that's the spirit and the attitude we should have. Wherever you want me to go, Lord, I will go. And whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And whatever you want me to give, I'm going to give. But that question for us is, are we ready for that? Or is it too hard? Now, there was a second interview that Jesus went through with another guy. He, he said to this man, follow me. But, he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, when you hear that, it sounds like, man, Jesus is really insensitive, right? I mean, wouldn't you encourage the guy to go back and be with his family, pay respects to his father? Is, is Jesus that cold-hearted toward people who are suffering? No, he's not. Let's look at the other times in the Bible when Jesus was faced with people who were grieving over the loss of a loved one. One day when Jesus was going through a town, there was a funeral procession. A widow was burying her only son, and she was grieving. Jesus grieved too. And moved by that grief, he went and raised that son from the dead to give her back, to give him back to that grieving widow. On another occasion, when a Jewish leader in the city had lost his daughter, she was dead, Jesus went to his house and raised the girl back to life. Jesus has a heart for the grieving. In fact, we see that when Jesus' close friend, Lazarus, died, he went to comfort the two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus too was moved with grief as he wept going to the tomb. And Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was going to raise him from the dead, but Jesus himself was moved with sorrow. Jesus has a compassionate heart. So why did he say that to this guy? Well, take a look at the words. Let the dead bury their own dead. That is, let the spiritually dead Take care of that. You see, back in those days when the Jews had a funeral, it was a big grieving gathering. They would even hire professional wailers to come in to add to the atmosphere of grief. For the Christian, 
while the funeral is sad and we grieve, we also rejoice in the blessings that God has given us in this life and in the blessing now of eternal life. You see, that's what Jesus said to him then. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Don't go to bury and to grieve. Go and to proclaim that good news that there is eternal life for those who believe in him. Because Jesus came into this world to die for us. And he rose again to conquer death. And he gives us the victory. You see, what Jesus was saying is, while you may think you have other obligations, put God first. Whatever it is, in your work, in your school, in your family responsibilities, in your recreation, whatever obligations you have, make sure you're living for God first. Then Jesus conducted a third interview. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now again, we see things on the outside. Jesus can see into the heart. And what he sees probably is this, that this guy's heart is just not going to be in it. Jesus can see the future, so maybe he would see this guy going back to his family and just deciding, oh, you know what, I don't really want to leave home yet. Or maybe he'd go back to his family, and we don't know the family situation, but maybe he'd have a father who would say, you know what, you're not going to follow that guy, that crazy guy, and go all over and get in trouble. You stay home. Or maybe he had a wife who said, Oh, you think you're going to get out of the house chores? No way. You stay here and take care of this. Whatever the situation was clear, this guy's heart was not going to be in it. Now, Jesus isn't saying we should neglect family or neglect obligations to family, but what he was teaching is that God must come first. I believe that, that Jesus probably saw that inside this guy's heart, he simply had a yearning to stay home. Something else was going to get in the way of his commitment to follow the Lord. Is it that way with you? Do you have some excuses why you aren't so dedicated and committed to following the Lord? In other words, is there something that's blocking your heart, keeping you from wholeheartedly following Christ. When you hear Jesus' words, you get the clear message. It's them, or this, or me. Jesus was simply calling us to put him first. There's nothing wrong with having a home. And absolutely, we should have good family relations and obligations and take care of those responsibilities but doing that first because of our commitment to following God. You see, sometimes we take the things of this life, the temporal things, and we ascribe so much value to them that we neglect the value that should be given to the spiritual, to the eternal things. And so this text can be tough as it puts that challenge out to us and asks us that question, are you ready to fully commit 
to following Christ. And being honest and looking at ourselves and seeing some of the symptoms we experience would say, sometimes I have some heart blockage. Sometimes I falter in my following of Jesus. But yet, Jesus looks at us and says, no, you are ready to follow me. And that's because he has said, you're excused. By that, I don't mean you're dismissed from those obligations. Don't worry about it. No, he's simply saying that our falter, faltering, our failings, have been taken care of. You see, we follow Jesus not because we're trying to get something from him by doing it. We don't follow Jesus because we're trying to make up for all the times we failed. We don't follow Jesus because we think by doing so, we are gaining more blessings here and eternity. That's impossible. Our failings have only brought from God separation from him. And Jesus experienced that in our place. When Jesus died on the cross, he was experiencing that separation from God, that hell, not because of what he did, but because of what we did and what we fail to do. It's because Jesus paid the penalty for our failings that we've been excused from our failings. We can't do it on our own because the only way we could do that would be to give up our life. And if we give up our life, How could we have life? But Jesus gave up his life for us so that we have life. But there's also something else that we're obligated to. God said that in order to be in heaven, in order to be in his presence, we have to be absolutely perfect. That is, we have to have obeyed every law that he has given. And we know that's impossible. Because we're not always patient, we're not always kind, we're not always loving, we're not always worshiping and always praying and trusting in him above everything. But Jesus was. Jesus was perfect in every situation. Even though he was tempted like you and I are, he never once sinned. So God then takes that perfection, that righteousness of Jesus, and he credits that to us simply through our faith in him. And so now we are ready for eternal life. The penalty has been paid and righteousness has been given to us. That's described beautifully for us when the Apostle John saw the vision in heaven of all the saints gathered for a feast. He wrote, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's us, the church, his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And then the Bible says, the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. God has given us the righteous acts we need so that we are ready for eternal life. But we are also ready right now to serve him because God has also given us his spirit. 
That Spirit has given us faith in Jesus. And through that faith, we have that righteousness of Jesus. With the Spirit now, we are equipped to be able to serve God, to follow him wholeheartedly. Now you might wonder, how does that happen? Is there some kind of supernatural event I should experience? Some kind of heart event? Here's how he does it. The Apostle Paul said, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God knows our weaknesses. He knows our limitations. But he has given us his spirit to overcome those weaknesses and limitations so that we are ready to follow. Now, how is that done? Paul further explains. From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's through God's word that his spirit works to equip us, to make us ready to follow Jesus. Now here's why this is important. Here's why God has called us to follow him. The very next verse in the Bible, after all of these interviews of people to follow him, Luke records this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, Jesus sees the need. He sees the hearts that are broken, that are empty, that are blocked. And he knows that people need his gospel. He has given that gospel to us. And he has given us that commission to go with it. So, my friends, you and I are ready. We are ready to follow Jesus. So let's live ready. In other words, no excuses. He's given us his word to nurture faith. So let's get into that word as we hear it regularly in church, as you hear it in Bible classes, as you read it on your own. Let that spirit work in you and let him fill your heart with joy and a confidence of God's blessing and guidance. Despite what you might experience, the, the troubles of life, the hard times, the challenges, know this, that God overcomes them all with his spirit. So no excuses. The Apostle Paul also tells us that when we have that joy and that confidence of our salvation, we will be devoted, eager to do what is good. Though we might think there are so many things that can get in our way, whether it's at work or at home or in our other life, whatever. No excuses. God has made us ready. Let's follow. Amen.